Sound of Hockey episode 239. We're calling this one the Eric Howla episode. Why are we calling it that, John? Because he became the first player in Stanley Cup playoff history to be eliminated by the same opponent in three consecutive postseasons while playing for three different teams. Woo! He's a record setter. That's amazing. That's a pretty that good, is amazing. Pretty good stat. Shout out to Chris. Is a really hard last name. I'm going to go with Jastrzemski for tweeting that. That was a pretty good little little bit there. So Remarkable. what were the teams? I guess it would have been he lost to Carolina three years in a row then, which would have been he lose to was he who would have New Jersey? Been with? No, New Jersey, not New Jersey. New Jersey this year is yeah. who he was with. Who was and he then, with last year? He's been on like every team. It wouldn't have been Vegas, Boston? right? Boston. Boston. That sounds right. Maybe. This is good radio. Anyway, uh, this is Sound of Hockey. I'm Darren Brown, at Darren Fun Brown on the Twitter, joined as always by John Barr. Hello, John. Hello, everybody. I'm NHL2 Seattle on the Twitter. And we have Curtis Izaki with us once more. Hello, Curtis. Hi there, everyone. I'm Deep Sea Hockey on the Twitter. And make sure to follow us at Sound underscore Hockey as well, where you'll get all your up-to-date Kraken news. Oh, no. Uh, Who wants that? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think people want it right now. You know... It's interesting. Obviously, we're we're fresh off of a game seven loss. You all know that this ha- that this has happened. If you're listening to our podcast, you know that the Kraken have lost in game seven. So this isn't news to you. But I do think the sentiment from the fan base is pretty darn positive. I didn't see I I don't think I saw anything negative, even about that game seven. Maybe a couple people that were like, oh, they did this thing wrong or not not a good enough. Whatever. They pushed Dallas to a game seven. They won the first round against the Colorado Avalanche, and I think people recognize that they're still a brand new franchise that's still just growing and still just trying to create a foundation. I think they did a pretty good job of that this season. We're going to talk about all that. Before we do, <laughs> uh, you guys looked like you were ready to rebut me there, but hold on. We have some housekeeping to do. Before we we do rebuttals and all that, um, I just wanted to share we have a couple of five-star reviews. Our first five-star review comes from V Doctor. It says, great hockey conversation. It says, you answered my question in the mailbag. Mom Eunice on the Twitter. We interact with Mom Eunice quite frequently. Uh, So the least I can do is give you a five-star review. I listen to a lot of hockey podcasts, and SOH is my favorite. Oh, that's very nice. Um, I love the conversational style of all the posts, and, of course, the Twitter intern is fire. Man, I couldn't – wait, is that fire or fired? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hopefully hopefully fire is in a good thing um, but I couldn't agree more if that's the case uh, you both engage with folks and it just feels like an ongoing conversation looking forward to seeing y'all at a game so I can get a selfie oh absolutely and stick taps for Andy yes. that's how that one closes out uh, backgammon socks says playoff hockey is everything I've dot 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 and then it gets cut off so I'm guessing it's a positive thing uh thanks guys for providing the crack and fix between games when all i can think about is crack and hockey i've learned so much about the game and the league from this podcast i've listened to every episode since i discovered this podcast last season and i'm glad it exists i'm leaving a five-star review because the podcast deserves it but since you read them on the show i just want to mention i met you john in nashville and i appreciate how approachable you were and friendly to me i was nervous to say hello but i'm glad i did I also want to brag that I am an air traffic controller, and I worked the Kraken team plane into Boeing Field uh, last Friday. I set them up for their approach and gave the pilot a little go Kraken as I switched them over to the Boeing Field control (laughs) tower. I don't know if anyone else thinks that's cool, but I was very proud of myself for that little exchange. Anyway, good work on the podcast. I really appreciate it and look forward to each new episode that comes out. Thanks, Tyler. Cool. Okay, that I know 
Tyler. That's you what know I thought Tyler. it was. Yeah. So I got to say, I think that's totally cool that he gave a go Kraken to the Kraken plane. So I think that's very cool. Yeah. yeah. Well done, Tyler. Backgammon sucks. Thank you both for the very nice five-star reviews. Leave your five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We will read it on next week's show. Uh, and also, we have just a couple shout-outs. Uh, we had a gentleman named Andy, which good, solid name, Andy. Yeah, uh, Popped by and said hello to us pre-game outside of Big Mario's A Pizza, which was nice. Uh, thank you for that. And also, shout-out to Mr. Munkers, who stopped me to say hello the other day. Him and his mother, uh, they're, they're hockey buddies. They go to the game and said his... His wife isn't all that into it, I think, and also his father. So Mr. Munkers goes with his mom, and they they connect over it, and that's pretty cool. So like it, and like they're it. they're Love big it. supporters. So um, thank you both. All right. So about the games, uh, the Kraken, as we mentioned, are now out. Their season is over. We have had 24 hours to kind of let this set in. I think we went through various stages of grief here in the last 24 hours. Although I'm feeling. Pretty good. I think uh, this morning I woke up very irritable. John, you and I did our YouTube show, uh, the Kraken Takeaways. I think even when we got to that point, I was feeling a little pissy. But then we talked about the Kraken a bit, and I think I I came back around. I think I'm feeling pretty good about the future. I'm really impressed with where they got, and I think this was all part of the plan, right? I think when you think about the grand scheme of things, I don't think they're quite ready to win the Stanley Cup. Right. I don't think the fan base is quite ready for that. I think it's all steps. As Jordan Everly said, you have to learn how to lose first and then you figure out how to win. What do you guys think? How are you feeling? I mean, I'm feeling I'm feeling good. Yeah. Right. I, I and I like I said on our YouTube channel, I'm not sure if Curtis was able to see it. But oh, oh I check it out every okay. day. <laughs> okay, cool. Thank you. I watch right, episodes twice. No, I don't so believe that. It's we continue. We're changing the goalposts or moving the goalposts, as they say. Mm hmm. Remember, we started the season with, oh, let's play competitive games in March, right? Have a have a chance for the playoffs in March. That turned into like, okay, let's we're going to make the playoffs. Let's make the playoffs. We made the playoffs. Then it's like, okay, just competitive series. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, wait a second. We can win this thing. Yeah. And then same thing with Dallas. So if in hindsight, like what a terrific year, right? If If we really evaluated this and said that even had this conversation heading into the playoffs – that if they are going to make a deep run or get to a seventh game in the second round, we would have been ecstatic, right? We would have been excited. And I and I was. Even if you go back to game six of this series, I just wanted one more game, right? Make it interesting, add to the lore, take it to a game seven. Who knows what will happen? And then they flat out played their butts off. They got outplayed in the game seven. We're not we'll probably get into that, but mm-hmm. but at the same time, like mindset right now, really appreciative, loved every minute of this season. It was awesome. So, yeah, I feel the same way. I've never followed a sports season of anything more closely than I followed the Kraken this season. Never been as invested in any sports team's outcome as this one. And yet still, I think it's precisely what you were saying, John. It's just every step, every next stage that they got to was just a reward that we didn't expect. Right. And so, you know, to make the playoffs, to win a playoff game, I, I will now on this podcast admit that my hope for the playoffs was not to exit this playoffs via a sweep. Um, that, that, that was that was my hope Atlanta that they style. that they could check off their first playoff win. That came pretty quickly, um, and so 
at each step, it was just, it was a thrill. I was excited about it, you know, and so to get as far as they did, I think I very quickly moved through to, you know, gratitude and acceptance, uh, you know, pretty quickly, even that night. You know, the only thing, the, the only disappointment in my mind doesn't have anything to do with what the players accomplished, because it's so much more than what I thought it was. It was just, you know, you kept looking at it and you were like, oh, well, if they win this one, you yeah. know what could happen yeah. um because you know there was a road there and you always think about that when you get to a game 7 and i but. think vegas would be a very hard matchup but i thought that about colorado and i thought that about dallas and you just never know you get into a brand new series against a team that's kind of built similarly i think they have a little bit more star power probably in vegas but they also have a lot of goaltending questions you know like they could have been beaten so it is a little disappointing to think about what could have been because effectively they're one goal shy of the Western Conference Finals, right? But nonetheless, uh, I think we have to cherish this, what we just experienced. It was a fantastic run. It was so much fun. Um, and now they're they're going to have some expectations next season. So hopefully, you know, it wasn't just the fact that they were underdogs. I think they proved that they belonged. And I hope that uh, next season when they, when they make the playoffs, not if, but when they make the playoffs, um, they're going to go in with with a little bit higher expectations, and then they rise to the occasion and just um, roll through. You when know? we and and one thing you know we've talked about a couple times, but I'm going to mention it again. It's just how the playoffs drew so many more fans in, like casual sports fans, and gave hockey a chance. Can't believe how much chatter I saw about talking about the Kraken. Yeah, I mean like, even around town, right? Like I'd have a hat on or a shirt on or something, and somebody would would just be like, oh, how are they doing, right? Like, they wouldn't necessarily yeah. be watching, but, like, they'd be like, oh, you're wearing a Kraken shirt. What's going on? And I'd, you know, I'd be like, oh, well, let me give you some in-depth yeah. analysis because yeah. I follow them extremely closely. And, um, but, you know, everybody was at least curious to know what was going on, whether they are watching it or not. And, yeah, to your point, I think a lot and of people I, are watching I, it. So You know, I mentioned this in my uh, Monday Musings is Vegas, after they made the Stanley Cup final, now this was their first year and they made the final, Nevada saw a 60% growth in hockey memberships the following season. Not expecting the same. They they started from a much smaller number, right? And so they players, right? People that are signed up to play. It's technically membership, so mm-hmm. it could be referees and right. coaches and officials and stuff like that. But uh, either way, it's, it's measuring it all the same way. So I know that's going to have some kind of impact on Seattle hockey playing and and actually in the region itself so very excited to see that too all right let's talk about the game so since so when i talked to everett that was pre-game five in dallas that was a point five episode he and i talked a little uh somewhat extensively about the game four where they had the uh goalie interference that i thought really didn't fully cost seattle the game because they were not good enough in this game right they just they weren't that good um but it was a big deal because it was a two-goal swing then they came out in game five, and I thought they got pretty well dominated uh, in Dallas. Uh, they just didn't get anything through to to Ottinger on the inside. It was all perimeter, you know, and so they did break through for a couple of goals on that one, but it was it was just not enough. They were they were outplayed pretty sufficiently. Game six, they really turned the tables at home, and I think they got desperate and they felt that their backs were against the wall, and they didn't want to go out the way that that would have been going out right with three losses in a row including game six at home that would have been just a terrible terrible way for it to end when you think about how magical the run was coming up to that and they played great that night they had they had some mistakes they gave up three response goals they had a sloppy start to the third period where it was like odd man rush after odd man rush for dallas 
But, you know, they came out and they scored twice in the first period. They scored a couple more times in the second. They got the insurance goal in the third that felt like it should have been the dagger by Matty Beneers, but instead there was a response. <laughs> but then they stuck with it. You know, they never, like, wilted under any of that. Um, they figured it out. They they took advantage of the breaks they were getting, and they earned themselves a game seven. And I love that that rebound story as far as, like, coming back from two tough losses and mm-hmm. could, have, could have mailed it in easily. Not to mention, you know, they, they haven't been the strongest team at home compared to the road. And so there's a lot of concern or chatter about, you know, oh, it's better that they play on the road or whatever. But the reality is they, they put on a show for that game, uh, even if there were some mistakes with some response goals. Just added to the excitement. Not yeah. that they did that on purpose, but, you know, it just left there because it was like a four o'clock game. So we ended up leaving the, the building around seven o'clock, right, and which is on a Saturday. And it was just sunny out and everyone was pretty psyched yeah. in the in the neighborhood right getting some college sodas or some food but it was uh such a great moment that game six so something to remember for sure yeah absolutely i've um like we said in the last series you know even if it wasn't a stanley cup winning game you can look back on a game like that a game like that's significant um and it, for the team itself to that point in the series if you look at the shot quality data um there had been uh two lopsided games in terms of shot quality, game two and five, both in favor of Dallas. Like Dallas just kind of blew out Seattle in terms of the quality that they were generating. The other four to that point in the series were pretty competitive. Uh, now game three, uh, Seattle kind of scored a bunch of goals and put that put that out of reach. But they did that from scoring mostly from the outside. Um, so there were four games that were pretty competitive. If you look at the stats, Seattle taken three out of those four. It kind mm-hmm. of shows that you know if Seattle could just hang in there, um, they uh, they they could play with this this team. But you know, turning the page forward to Game Seven, yeah, nice you could segue. also see Game Two and Game Five. Dallas's ceiling is just higher, right? So it's a good segue into Game Seven because I think that's what they were trying to do in Game Seven was just hang, right? They talked about patience after Game Games Five and Six a little bit. Um, I think especially and. It was probably a response to in game six. They had that breakdown in the third period. They had the the response goals. They talked about patience, just waiting until you get your opportunities. Um, and it seemed like they were doing that and they were doing a great job of weathering the storm in the early going. Philip Grubauer is playing awesome in this game, uh, just like he did in game seven against Colorado and just like Seattle did in game in the first period of game seven against Colorado. It was almost a rope a dope approach, right? Like they were just weathering the storm, hanging out, waiting for their opportunities. It felt like it was going to come at some point, and then a bad bounce uh, ended up in the back of the net, effectively. High flip play that Jamie Oleksiak is by far and away the first one to the puck, but it takes this weird backspin, and he kind of overskates it as it comes down at the blue line. Rupe Hintz skates in and scores. And that was kind of, it was one of those games where you just knew that, like, whoever scored first maybe they weren't guaranteed to win but they had a really good chance of winning because of just how the series had gone and it was so tight checking compared to the rest of the series too it was tight checking the goaltenders looked like they were locked in Uh, but you're right it's just a play you know Jamie Alexiak was standing pretty static and Rupe Hintz came at him with speed swiped at the puck and then Alexiak had no chance to catch up with him Rupe Hintz was going in with speed so that was, it's not quite all she wrote, I guess. It, they got it to 2-0 when Wyatt Johnston scored off one of those almost intentional icing plays where the defense recognizes that he's behind Seattle, dumps it the length of the ice, knows, knowing it's not going to be icing because he's there first. Um, and then he picked it up and made a great goal, a, a great shot over the over the shoulder of uh, Philip Grubar. So 
that made it 2-0, and then it really was, it was too much at that point. Yeah, and I thought, and I mentioned this on the takeaways, so not to repeat content, but I thought if they made it to the third period tied 0-0, they had a really good shot at winning because I thought Dallas was starting to get frustrated. You even mentioned it when we were watching it, and I just thought that was kind of the, could have been the key to victory, and then that, that hints goal, and then... It was tough sledding the third, for sure. Yeah. They did make a push. I mean, to their credit, they never quit. It's one of the things we love about this team. They never quit no matter what. They scored with 17 seconds left. Oliver Bjorkstrand, who just seems to love playing in Game 7s, he also hit a post he's, in the game. He's the only Kraken player to score in a Game 7. Wow. That's a great point. <laughs> he's got three goals in Game 7s for the Kraken. That's it. Um, but yeah, they... Uh, they they actually did get a little bit of a look there too when they got an offensive zone face off and nine seconds left the puck kind of slid past Jordan Eberle if it had taken a little bit better bounce you know if Jamie Alexiak shot in the second period had gone in instead of hitting the post if Oliver Bjorkstrand had gone in instead of hitting the post you know um, they needed a bounce they didn't get it in this game um, they needed a little bit of luck I think they got a little bit more luck in. Game seven against Colorado. And I think they got some luck to not put any Dallas goals in early, right? Yeah. There were some some scrambly plays. I think they hit a couple posts too, right? So the luck goes both ways. And But I think you mentioned earlier that everyone was extremely positive. Fans all over the place were so positive at the effort, even in that game where they were clearly the not the better team. Um, but either way, like they were in a position to, to win, right? Even if it would have been a long shot based on how they were playing. so Yeah, going back to it, I mean, they Dallas was clearly the better team in Game 7 just by quality of shots, number of shots even, uh, which is where Seattle tended to hand, hang in a little more. Uh, but uh, clearly the better team. It was really, really Grubauer stood tall, kept them in it. Uh, for a long period of the game and you know throughout the series you know we just saw that when Dallas took it to that next level Seattle couldn't quite match it Uh, and when they did uh, when they were able to hang in there was really you know kind of taking it back to the regular season some pretty good five-on-five finishing skill on this team Uh, and that showed up again in this series the you know the uh, posts in game seven notwithstanding um, you know this this team uh, is resilient and knows how to finish their chances. Uh, but in the end, uh, Dallas earned every bit of that Game 7 victory. They were they were the better team in that game. They were the better team in the series. And, you know, I think that makes it a little easier to accept, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. John, did I see you on TV last week? Um, well, I don't know. Did you watch ESPN Plus? Actually, what? no. I'm, Quest for the Cup? I didn't actually watch it, <laughs> but I know you were on TV last week. Yeah. We're going to talk about that? or Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, if you've watched, uh, it's on ESPN Plus, Quest for the Cup. Uh, the ESPN crew was in town, the producer, and uh, reached out to me to have a chat. Had no idea what they were doing, what they were doing it for originally, and uh, filmed me having a college soda before a game, and um, yeah, it was awesome. This was game three, right? Yeah, game three, yeah. So, And what was crazy, this is, I don't know if I told you guys this, but... So they filmed me at my seats, mm-hmm. and originally they were supposed to, uh, they said, oh, we'll be there in the first and or third period. I'm like, okay, fine. I'm like, just film me. But that first period of game three, there were no goals scored. Mm. So then they show up, they're like, oh, we're going to come for a period two. I'm like, okay. They set up, and they're like, got a camera like in the aisle right next to us, filming us, and... Uh, I'm mic'd, so they, they've got me mic microphone. And that's when there was a flurry of three goals by the Kraken. And so I'm like, I turned over 
to the producer, I'm like, you guys can't leave, right? Because that was when they that broke the ice and what an exciting game. But you can see my natural habitat at Kraken Games when yeah. they score goals. So Yeah, it was pretty cool. I did get to see at least that part. Yeah. So. And yeah, if any podcast listeners still have a, you know, sour taste in their mouth from game seven, I, I'd go I'd go find that ESPN plus quest for the cup because it's a pretty pretty jubilant um <laughs> scenario where they there's there's uh you know there's a little bit of interview content with John, but then, you know, when they get to the game, it's just kind of goal after goal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty yeah, great. Yeah. John just yeah. cheering for yeah. 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, so now, I guess, where do we turn? I think there's probably a few questions that can be asked about this off season. John, did you, um, I feel like you might have prepared something here, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I mean... We'll probably dig into this during the off season because we don't take a break. Right. Um, well, maybe like a week here or there. Yeah, maybe next week. I don't know. Maybe, maybe next week. Yeah. Some of us are traveling internationally <laughs> next week to far off lands. Yes. And some of us are slightly thankful that they don't have to try to cover games at yeah. 4 a.m. local time next yeah. week. Yeah. So. Um, but we won't say who. Well, for one. Okay. So was here's me. A, there's a couple of big off season items that they have right um one is like the the regular housekeeping who do they qualify of mm-hmm. the rfas so i'm going to read through the rfas and i just want to get your guys a sense of do they qualify them some might mean more than qualifying but you'll get the point when i get there so the rfas are geeky sprong dunn borgen and kale flurry any of those guys you don't qualify i think i hate to say this because i he's my favorite probably my favorite player on the team this year but daniel sprung i think is probably not coming back next season because if you qualify him what is he on this year uh 750 750. so they just have to qualify him to like 800 or something like that or 850 to but but he has arbitration rights yeah so and he scored 21 goals this season explain what arbitration rights. so that means that he can file for arbitration he can decline the I hope I explain this in a good way, but he can decline the qualifying offer effectively. Say he wants to go to arbitration with the team if they keep going, and usually they settle it before the hearing. But if they keep going all the way to the hearing, then they will settle on some an arbitrator decides what the price tag is for next season. So based on his stats, I would think that he has a pretty good arbitration case. I mean, that was kind of the same reason that they didn't qualify him last year. They didn't want to go to arbitration with him. I think he's likely at least making two million, wouldn't you think? At two, two point five or three, to yeah. be honest, yeah. Because I mean, somebody's going to pay him that our, too. I know arbitration, like the stats that they use to like negotiate, are like things like points, goals, pl- and even plus minus, if you can believe that. Mm. So, and then they both sides figure out what the comps are, and so they'll come in with comps. They'll say like, uh, you know the this third liner in Tampa Bay is a good comp or whatever. And he's making 3 million. Obviously each side's going to position it to have the comps as close to the highest number they want or the lowest number they want. So um, usually it doesn't get to that, but I long story short, I totally agree with you there. Yeah. I think each of these guys are actually, I think Borgen is really the only easy one. Um, I think the other three, you know, Dunn, Sprong, and Geeky all have kind of an interesting wrinkle to them. Uh, I think with Geeky and Sprong, it's kind of, I would imagine you go to those players and see if you can agree on a deal early. If not, there's a real decision to be made. I mean, uh, as you guys mentioned, Sprong could be a high number. Uh, Geeky is coming off of... uh, off of a decent sized deal, he's probably going to be looking for a raise. Um, I think perhaps you probably still qualify him, uh, even if you can't reach a deal. Uh, but that's a 
that could be a difficult one too. Um, so there, there are potentially difficult choices ahead here. I mean, Vince Dunn being the most difficult of all. Uh, well, yeah, because you have to kind of sign him long term, right? Yep. So, and he's got probably a really big contract coming. I mean, he's going to be the highest paid player on the Kraken here. I think when it's all said and done. So, um, yeah, I think it's a it's a tough tough off season in terms of that stuff. The other thing to think about, too, is roster space, right? So, like, Ryan Donato, I think they're they're not going to bring him back. And that's kind of the same reason that I think that Sprong probably will go is because they do need some spots here. If they want to get better than they are this season, there's not a lot of room for them to get better unless they subtract players from their fourth line and move people down, I think. Or they trade somebody out that they think wasn't as effective as they, they would have wanted them to be. So that's what I think is, is going to happen. I think they're going to let one or two of those kind of guys go to um, just to create some space more than anything. But yeah, what else you got, John? Any other brain busters? Well, just broadly speaking, what do you think Ron Francis and team, their top priority is in this offseason? We're going to have availability with Ron Francis the day after tomorrow, Thursday. So um, we can ask this question. But um, I think if, if it's me, if it's my team, which it certainly is not, but if it were, I would want to add another two-way 20-goal type of guy. Not not a Daniel Sprong, who's really a one-way type of player, but a another like Oliver Bjorkstrand type, you know. And I know that th- those don't grow on trees, but if you can add one more guy, I just think there's there's a lot more I don't know. I mean, the depth was the thing, right? But like you can never be too deep. Burkowski comes back next season, but I think if you add one more scoring winger, I think you're I think you're in a really good spot. I would also love to see them add a centerman just for somebody who can win face-offs. Um, it's pretty much all I got. I don't know. I mean, defense, I think you could fill that from within. I think Susie's going to go, but you have you have guys like Riker Evans and um, Magna, you know. So, I don't know. We'll see. Yep. We shall see. Coming out of the uh, – I was just thinking back to uh, Darren. You and I wrote a preseason projection, like, article for soundofhockey.com uh, before this season uh, and coming up with point totals. And I think you said you thought they might end up with 90 points. And I said, I think that's a little – you're getting a little optimistic there, mm-hmm. Darren. 90 points. Uh, that seems pretty far out there. That's and the a pretty ra- good Price is Right bit. I didn't even go over. That's right. So, yeah. You definitely won the Price is Right, yeah. uh, 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 as opposed to me. I, I was under that. Um, and, and the reason why I didn't go to where you were is I was concerned coming off the first year. I was a little concerned about the defense and goaltending wasn't what we thought it was going to be. Uh, in that first season, it was just a little, it was porous. It was more porous than we thought it was going to be. I think they like kind of- SpongeBob. Indeed. <laughs> uh, I think they answered some of those questions this season. So I, I, I'm kind of um, I'm kind of with you, Darren. I mean, there's always, you know, room to upgrade everywhere. But I think it's I think it's got to be for a, a scorer, uh, someone who can put goals on the board and preferably someone who can put goals on the board from the high danger areas, the, the greasy areas. So you think in like a higher scorer, like a 30 30- Plus goal score? Not necessarily, but I don't think that we can just think that the scoring that happened this season is going to be replicated next season. Mm -hmm. Because if you dig into the data, you know, we've, again, we've talked about this on the podcast, we've written about it on soundofhockey.com, but if you dig into like expected goal metrics, shot quality metrics, the Kraken really overperformed those okay. things this year. So they you were think the, they'll regress to the mean. They were the number year. one ranked five on five scoring team this year. Mm-hmm. But how much of that was just kind of the bounces going their way and how much of it uh, is sustainable is I, I think still an open question. And so I don't think you can just kind of think, oh, we've got 
our scoring problems solved here. Uh, we're the number one five-on-five scoring team. I don't think you're going to replicate that next year without improving. And so where can you improve? I think it's with someone who is kind of drives to the net uh, can be in the net front and score those types of goals. Because mm. hopefully, you know, the team will have Andre Barakovsky back, Jared McCann back, Ellie Tolvanen can shoot. These guys can shoot. Yeah. The team has shooters. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the types of games like they were in, for example, Game 7 uh, with the Dallas Stars, when play is really being pushed to the outside, I feel like having someone who can kind of force the play towards the middle, a power forward type, could be useful for this Economic time. Economic David. I wonder if he's available. The uh, season's over. Does that mean he's available? You can How about a 34-year-old the... Patrick Kane? Mm, no. I'll, I'll pass on so. Patrick Kane. But you got to make the call on McDavid, right? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't hurt to ask. Right. What sure. about Max Domi? I like him as a player on the ice, but I know that he's played for a lot of different teams, and there's usually a reason for that. Like Jared McCann. That's a good point. I, I'm not. I'm, yeah, I'm not a huge fan, and I think there's probably a reason that Ron Francis selected Kraken legend Gavin, Gavin Bayreuth Bay Bay right, yeah. over Max Domi in the mm-hmm. expansion draft. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Well, it could be salary, right? It, um, it could be. He yeah. was on a five million dollar deal, I think, at that time. So but. another couple players that are available out there: Tarasenko. Yeah, they could have had him. Yeah, but they wouldn't have Vince Dunn. Right. Uh, Jason Zucker. I, I liked him a lot when he was with Minnesota. I haven't watched him closely enough. He scored 27 enough. goals this year. Yeah. But doesn't he, does he play a Sid, though? He, I don't know. I mean, I think... No, I, I'm just throwing these at Michael Bunting, right? Uh, yeah. He's a little bit more that guy. Yeah. But the unrestricted free agent class, th- there might be an answer in there. It's, I think, pretty generally considered to be a historically bad uh, unrestricted free agent I, class. I think that's a little bit... Because of the high end's not there, right? There's be. no blue chips out there because they're all 33 plus. So the question becomes, you don't want to overspend on the non-blue chip. You don't want to treat one of those guys yeah, as Yeah, I mean, chip, I, and right? I hate free agency, right? I hate spending money in free agency unless it's yeah. Barakowski, which is <laughs> really good. So, I mean, I also, though, like, I've, after what I've seen from the Kraken front office, I'm like, pretty trusting of their ability to evaluate players you know so i'm like well they can find somebody who's not one of the absolute top free agents on the market that could be really impactful too and remember how they were patient as well with bjorkstrand right they they didn't go out after like the tier two and overpay for tier two scores they waited it out knew they had an advantage with the cap space and it played out perfectly, right? And, and Daniel Sprong was a great example of That's that true. this year yeah. too. I mean, yeah. he was, you know, came to camp on a tryout, right? Yeah. Um, and scored twenty goals. So I think that is the key. And Ron Francis mentioned that at this trade deadline, that you know the the trade deadline day and the first day of free agency are the most dangerous days for a GM. Um, and uh, I, I'm with you, Darren. I I think they they're going to look at this. They're not going to overpay for a middle class player like a like a blue chip. I just can't imagine that happening. I wonder if people think that they paid too much for Burakovsky last year. Mm. I mean, he got hurt, and he was their leading scorer up until he got hurt. So it doesn't change his salary. I'm just I'm just saying, even when he was signed, did did they think? I see. They oversigned, overpaid. I think they. I think the organization was very comfortable with what they paid him, though. I think he's right yeah. in that range, you know, that they that they seem to like paying players. Uh, it's just reading between the lines, but I, I got the impression that Seattle was the high bidder, so that makes you think that they, no other team valued him the way. Theoretically, that Seattle did. they did overpay, right? And what's interesting, the reason I bring that up is because I think this playoff run and this this last season 
all of a sudden opens the door to not needing to overpay for people. Because hmm. um, remember, no state income tax in Washington State. Now you have a winning team that, you know, probably not a cup contender this year, but they, they got pretty close. I mean, if they win that game, all of a sudden they're the final four teams. You know, people are going to remember this team and, and talking about players that want to kind of play for a for a cup. I think you're absolutely right, though. You know, when it comes to, you know, signing Jaden Schwartz originally or signing Alex Wenberg or even last year bringing Andre Burakovsky onto a 60 point team, I do think you had to be the high bidder for those guys. Absolutely. Totally agree. Um, And now it's kind of if you're competitive, can you sell the player on other things? Can you sell the player players on the, you know, team chemistry, the training facilities, all those things? Maybe you can. Yeah. And some of the interviews after game seven were very like, Pro Seattle, but you never know what you're getting when you're interviewing somebody that, you know, after you put a microphone and ask about the city and what that means to the city. But, you know, Everly in particular, you know, talked about how that, you know, Seattle would be a destination now. And and I thought that was kind of cool, but also I'm not sure that's totally accurate. Like, I just don't know, Hmm. right? Because they're not, not always that forthcoming, so... Other cracking news, Eddie Olchek, uh, this is really more Philadelphia Flyers news, I guess, but he was in the running for president of hockey ops in Philadelphia against Keith Jones, his broadcast partner, for a lot of things that he's done over the years, which I thought was fascinating. That those two were the two finalists. Um, like, I don't know. Fascinating. That's all. <laughs> Keith Jones ended up getting the job, uh, and Danny Breer was uh, named the GM officially. So this launches, and I guess this really isn't cracking news at all. We're kind of jumping the gun here, but um, it launches a new era of orange, according to the Philadelphia Flyers. <laughs> the Philadelphia Flyers organization was built on relentless ambition and loyalty to this city. When you're playing for Philadelphia, you're playing to win, and you're giving it your all. That's the bottom line, because when you represent this city, nothing less is acceptable. That extends beyond the ice, too. It's about character, sacrifice, integrity, most importantly, resilience in every single thing we do. When you don the orange and black, you're held to a specific set of standards, and you're expected to show up and work your ass off every single day. (laughs) It's about doing things the right way, no excuses, no shortcuts. This is a new era of hockey, and we're building a new foundation for the future. New ways to work, new ways to train, new ways to win. We have new voices, new perspectives, and new plans. But this is still Flyers hockey, so the goal remains the same. Win. Welcome to a new era of orange. And the orange is slightly darker now. But, right. Uh, two, two reactions to that. One, just mm-hmm. brilliant how you just went into movie trailer vote voice <laughs> over the course of that. Uh, and In two, a world where Darren reads about the Philadelphia Flyers and their color is a slightly darker orange, <laughs> only one man can save the day, and his name is Keith Jones. <laughs> okay, as you're saying. Number two, uh, are we getting a darker shade of gritty? I mean, oh. the gritty content is really all that's important to me. I actually wonder if they just adjusted this shade to match Gritty a little better. Maybe it's a Gritty takeover. Well, because Gritty's getting, oh, that could be, Gritty's getting like a little dirtier, you know, as he like ages a little bit. He's getting a little grittier. Yeah. He doesn't bathe. Not a chance that guy bathes. Have you seen his belly button? He's got flowers growing out of his belly button. But uh, I wonder how many uh, fans were like really inspired by that. I don't know. Yeah. That's insane. It sounds like it was written by John Tortorella, doesn't it? He's like, I'll I'll get the statement. Leave this with me, guys. I got the statement. I'll take care of it. There, I mean, there is um, 
you know, the impression that I got uh, from the Flyers community was a, a healthy dose of, of skepticism that we might just be on the hamster wheel here with, mm-hmm. a, with a management structure that, that hasn't worked. But um, good luck to them in their darker shade of orange. Sure. Uh, back to the Kraken organization. We'll now go down on the farm. Moo! The Coachella Valley Firebirds lead their series against the Calgary Wranglers 2-1, to one, and they have some powerful reinforcements on the way. Who's coming to join them, Curtis? Yeah, so um, the night after Game 7, Tim Laiwicki came on the Firebirds broadcast. I think he actually broke this news that uh, Ty Cartier and Jesper Froden would be going down to rejoin the Firebirds mm. uh, for their for their playoff push now that the Kraken season was over. Uh, and then today we learned, in addition, Chris Drieger uh, would be going down uh, to join them as well. Uh, we'll see whether he gets into a game. Obviously, he's probably pretty cold at this point. He's been sitting for a few weeks. But uh, yeah, pretty good reinforcements. Um, they also just got back in this last game. Andrew Podorowski, mm-hmm. who's, um, you know, last season led the entire AHL in points, uh, was their number one center for the season uh, until he had a leg injury, just came back. So you're adding Podorowski, Cartier, and Broden. That's essentially a first line in the AHL that they're adding for their yeah, playoff push. There's significant ads. Um, also, Ty Nelson signed his ELC, so he's joined the team. I don't think we expect him to really play. Um, and in that game three, Riker Evans uh, won it with a triple overtime game winner. And Joey Decord had 60 saves in that game. So. And this is a best of five series, by the That's way. That's right. Yep. What did we say? Did I not say that? You did not say that. Okay. Did I just sidestepped around it? No, you said 2-1 in the series. Okay. So they need one more win, and they're playing at home, which seems... Good. Right. For those unfamiliar, the AHL has kind of got a different playoff structure. The first round is three games, and then the next two rounds are five games, and then you get to the seven-game series. So up to one in a five-game series. And Jacob Melanson also uh, signed his uh, ELC. He's been assigned to Coachella. I think, is he playing? He's or? played the he's, he's seen the ice. Cool. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. And meanwhile, even farther down on a different farm, uh, the Seattle Thunderbirds talking about developmental birds... <laughs> the Seattle Thunderbirds are in the WHL Championship Series. They uh, Did they officially win tonight? They were way up against Winnipeg in Game 3. It's currently 6-3 with five minutes left. Okay, so we like our like their chances. They were up 6-2, yeah. um, but they split Games 1 and 2 in Winnipeg. Uh, now they have tonight's game, which is Tuesday, and then Games 4 and 5 at home. So good situation for them, assuming they do hold on to win here tonight. Um, get out and see them. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Around the NHL, the conference finals are set. Unfortunately, one of the four teams is not the Seattle Kraken. I don't know if you guys are aware of that. But the four teams are the Carolina Hurricanes, which was the team that I picked to win the cup in our pre-postseason story that the three of us contributed to, along with uh, Josh. And I don't know if there's anybody else. I think it was just the four of us. Um, And then Florida. uh, So they'll play each other. Florida beat Toronto 4-1. Carolina beat New Jersey 4-1. On the Western Conference side of things, Vegas got by Edmonton 4-2. That series got pretty wacky. A lot of shenanigans in that series. Um, And then Dallas beat Seattle 4-3. But we don't really need to talk about that anymore. No. So... Up all this, you know, guarantees is that with Edmonton's elimination, that's thirty years without a Stanley Cup for Canada yeah. and counting. Do you enjoy that? Does that give I, you joy for some reason? I, it doesn't bring me joy, except for the fact that I think it is, you know, uh, you know, wh- why do we invest in sports? It, it is a good 
it's a storyline. It's yeah. a, it's a fun narrative to follow. Um, I think you know the Chicago Cubs Cubs won the World Series and then they became uninteresting. This mm. is this is interesting. Okay, uh, so I do find myself rooting for it. So it, also interesting scenario, right? Um, obviously Peter DeBoer's facing his team that that's right fired him fired last him. year. Mm-hmm. Um, but three of the four teams are have new head coaches uh, for their particular organizations, right? Yeah. So interesting. I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, people like to point out too that Vegas is the northernmost team remaining, which is pretty interesting. I think. I think it's interesting. Do you think that's yeah. interesting? Notable. It's notable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, we'll call it a fun fact. It's a definitely a fun I fact. I see some people complaining about the teams, right? Because yeah. there's no big markets and blah, blah, blah. But whatever. How are you going to grow the sport if you only see big markets in the Stanley Cup final? And, you know, for people that might be new to hockey, it's, traditionally a pretty tribal sport where once your team's eliminated you stop watching um i mean it's just how the facts of the situation where football right like i think people are watching to the end right in the super bowl obviously being the biggest one so um i think it's great for these these franchises and the markets to to help grow the sport i think a lot of them are pretty healthy already um but this can only help. So I, I think it's a good thing. In that series with Vegas and Edmonton, we had a pair of matching bad boys. Uh, Alex Petrangelo. Andy would be so proud right now. Yeah. We're talking about some bad boys. Yeah, and double, like, double matching, yeah, like matching double. minors kind of a thing, right? But yeah. it was double matching bad boys. Um, Alex Petrangelo slashed Leon Dreisaitl. Uh, really nasty slash uh, for no apparent reason. Darnell Nurse, uh, I didn't actually see what Darnell Nurse did. Did he just he respond? instigator in the last? No, it was unrelated actually. Okay, um, but it was getting feisty in that game. But yeah, it was an instigator with less than a minute left, I think. And the if you get an instigator with less than a minute left in a game, it's an automatic suspension. And so that was an automatic suspension. There's ways around that, but it was not rescinded, if you will. That reminds me, I had a minor get off my lawn this week. Aside from I had to do a lot of yard work this weekend <laughs> and I pulled a lot of weeds, um, but that's not my get off my the lawn. The weeds which, aren't your get off my lawn? No, I would really like for them to get off my lawn. They suck. <laughs> I hate them so much. And they're really taking over our area outside of our sidewalk. Um, but no, what irritated me, and I think it was game six, if I'm not mistaken, didn't did Seattle have, I think they had two power plays in the, kind of the earlier going because that was the game that their power play actually like kind of broke Started out clicking. right yeah so they dominated that first period i think they were up like 15 to 2 in shots something like that and maddie Beniers gets called for a totally soft slash and you knew that the next penalty was coming against seattle because that's just how it goes and they have to keep things even or whatever but it really irritated me in that game because seattle was dominating Right. It's like, why do you have to keep the penalties even or close to even when the shots are 15 to two on the board? You know, like it does actually make sense for one team to have more penalties if one team has the puck the entire the other team. Yeah, I've always thought that it really it really irked me in that game. And and it just like it was one of those things where it was like the NHL. I, I understand that there needs to be some narrative from the referees, but I think there's probably some circumstances where it's perfectly okay to have one team get more penalties called against them well, if they don't have the puck. Since we're on the subject, one mm-hmm. of my get off my lawns or pet peeves, I guess, in the playoffs is putting the whistles away okay. with, with the last five, 10 minutes. Because mm-hmm. theoretically that makes it almost harder to score because teams can cheat, right? Or hook and hold and do more to prevent you to score. And all of a sudden 
you don't have these exciting games coming back and, and getting tied, right? And so that's a little bit of my get off my lawn, pivoting off your get off my lawn. All right. So that's good. Thank you. Well, and the irony of that is I think they, they don't want to decide the game, right? But then sometimes but they, they decide do. the game. They do by, by not calling not a calling penalty it. that yeah, should totally be called agree. a penalty. Totally agree. So, yeah, I'm yeah. with you. Um, okay. We now move on to our weekly one-timers. Our first weekly one-timer is a pretty big conversation and probably deserves more than weekly one-timer, but we're only giving a weekly one-timer. The Arizona Arena deal has effectively failed. Is that official? Have, yeah, has it, failed? it was a referendum, which means that it's basically, it's not quite a public vote, but it's like public sentiment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not sure if it's like legally binding, but it for all intents and purposes, it is legally binding. Um, it's, that, it's a dead end for the arena, right? Is that yeah, what I'm gathering? Yeah, I without any like major, major changes that would take a long time to turn that around. So uh, brutal blow for the Coyotes staying in Arizona. Um, so I keep an eye on this. Um, you know, obviously Arizona has been part of the landscape in my world for a bit, right? Because there was a lot of talk about them moving to Seattle and it's ne- never something I really was like uh, excited to talk about because that's taking a team away from a fan base, no matter how small they are. I, I don't, I don't care. There's fans that, and the Coyotes have been so God awful on the ice for the most part that they've just not had a chance to develop the team. And honestly, I think this is, this is it for Arizona staying in Arizona. I think there's a couple other options. There's been talk about, Salt Lake City. There's been talk about Houston. Theoretically, Kansas City probably has the ability to plug and play. Uh, I don't think they're going anywhere next season, but this might be it. This might be the final end of the road. And I know a lot of people have said that. I've never really said that until now. Mm -hmm. So um, keep an eye on it. Uh, Gary Bettman, in a statement, said the National Hockey League is terribly disappointed by the results of the public referenda. Regarding the Coyotes Arena project in Tempe, we are going to review with the Coyotes what the options might be going forward. So that doesn't give much confidence that they're going to try to stick around anymore, right? Do you agree? Uh, yes. Uh, what I'm trying to think about is, is there a negotiating angle they're trying to frame there? Like, mm. is there, are they sending a signal like, well, you better do something, but I just don't know who they would be negotiating with. Yeah, it kind of seems like... Yeah. Nobody, like, what, like people just don't. Sometimes they like, say that to like, oh, city of Glendale might better get their stuff together. But didn't the city of Glendale yeah, kick I'm, them out? I'm saying as an example, they've done that before right. to yeah, the yeah. city of okay. Glendale. Not good. Well, at least not good for people that want them to stay in Arizona. If there's a team no, out there, a good. city that's looking for a new market or a new franchise, they Portland? might have a chance. Just oh. kidding. Just kidding. Yikes. Our next weekly <laughs> one-timer. There are four bidders remaining for the Ottawa Senators. Uh, Senators, Senators. Ryan Reynolds is not one of the, his group is not one of the bidders. Apparently there was some deal where they wanted to um, have like an exclusive negotiating window to figure out their financing or something like that. And it didn't get passed or it got denied. So Ryan Reynolds is out. Any update on Snoop Dogg or The Weeknd? Both of them are part of one of the bidders. Snoop Dogg yeah. is worth more than Ryan Reynolds. Didn't we talk about that on the podcast or is that offline? We did not talk about that on the podcast. Well, we confirmed it offline, but okay. yeah, okay. you say you looked it up. Yep. Uh, our next weekly one-timer, the Hart and Vesna finalists have been announced. I guess all the awards have been announced at this point, right? For the 
yes nominees i'm shocked uh conor mcdavid was included as a heart finalist i didn't expect Amazing. to see him there plus david posternock and matthew kachuk vesna finalists are Con- conor hellebuck Ilya sorokin and linus allmark so the vesna's kind of open though right don't you mm, think i don't think so allmark do you have any thoughts on that curtis who's going to win the vesna uh, any, I, any east coast biases you want to share with us i think it's going to be linus allmark yeah exactly sorokin's pretty did pretty well didn't he uh, yeah it, I I think Curtis. Is he right, did. Though. I mean, I I, think, I I feel like the narrative was kind of set on Linus Olmark. You know, maybe yeah. like with a month in the season left, and it, I, I don't know if there was enough time to change. I mean, I, I think you've talked about this on the pod before, and people probably know this, but this is a regular season voting thing. This isn't voting that's happening now. Um, and yeah, because so, he sucked in the playoffs. They he, lost in round one. <laughs> Even the Kraken got farther than them. These, these are jeez. <laughs> these are true facts that Darren's delivered. Did he even play to much? The yeah. Sorry. Yeah, he might have been dealing with an injury. Oh, I'm not sure. Okay. Um, for people that don't know, Curtis is a Boston Bruins fan by by upbringing. So, but he's shifted his allegiances, much like John and myself have shifted our allegiances to focus more heavily on the Kraken. I'm right. objective in all things. Uh, okay. Mm. Our final weekly one timer, Gabe Landeskog uh, will not play next season either. So. After he was ruled out from the playoffs, which was obviously a big deal when that was announced that he wouldn't be joining the Aval- Avalanche to play against the Kraken. Um, he came and like skated in Seattle for a day, but he was like hardly moving and you knew that it was just kind of for show. Um, but now apparently he's out for all of next season. Yeah, he's having like cartilage replacement Oof. surgery or he had it. And the funny thing, I read a little bit about this and so... They're like the recoveries are pretty good for for athletes to you know that like in high school or whatever. But they're like we don't really know about elite athletes because mm-hmm. it's so rare mm-hmm. that they actually get this surgery and try to come back. Hmm. Usually, it's a way of life surgery. That's what they talked about, so, which doesn't sound very good. That doesn't sound good. And I'm sorry to be laughing about it because no, it's like, just not a very good prognosis, is it? No. Uh, and two years without playing. It's yeah. crazy, huh? Yeah. So. I mean, if anything, I'd say he returns just in time for the playoffs and they can put him on LTIR all season long. So if I had to guess. but I don't think this is one of those cases. I know. I don't think <laughs> well, this is you say that about everyone and then Mark Stone returns just in time for the playoffs. So. That is true, and I felt that about Mark Stone, but he's been but he's I, noticeably. Limited. I did see I did see the point though that he had like he knew that he needed surgery. He knew what the uh, recovery time was going to be, and he held off for as long as he could to see if he could rehab it. He couldn't rehab it, and then he's like, "All right, this is my cutoff. I have to get the the surgery if I'm going to be able to come back, back for yeah. playoffs." Right? I'm like, all right, that's pretty good explanation. And it made me rescind a little bit my frustrations of the cap circumvention that I think happens with LTIR. But neither here nor there. Those are our weekly one-timers. We move on to Sound of Hockey's three stars. John, your star. My star is Philip Grubauer. He's a goalie for the Seattle Kraken. Mm Mm-hmm. Played him. really well. Uh, this is the stat I like, uh, and it came from Allison Lucan's article that did the kind of the recap of the game. Uh, but it talked about Grubauer faced the most shots against in the playoffs, 
through the first two rounds. Uh, 420 of any goalie. Of any goalie okay. in, the, in the, yeah. Now he also played the, the 14 games, the most minutes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maximum. Um, but I thought that was pretty interesting. He, uh, he ended up with a 903 save percentage um, and gave the Kraken a shot just yeah. about every game. So You know, 903 yeah. doesn't, if you look at just that number, it doesn't sound that great. But man, he was so good. I think he was 921 through Colorado. He had a couple of games where they put big numbers up on him, you know, but like when, I don't know, I mean, think about him in, in game seven. They had a chance to win exclusively because of him. They won game seven against Colorado, not exclusively because of him, but very largely because of him. So awesome awesome run so, for him yeah i heard a rumor coming out of dallas john that in this series that otter was better is that is that your is your analysis agree with that that otter was better in the same series? save percentage um so. yeah and and if you dig if you go even a little further i think grubauer had a something in the neighborhood of six expected goal advantage over yeah. jake ottinger yeah. in this series if not for grubauer in this series i i personally think maybe it's a five game series not not a seven um grubauer was huge Curtis, who's your star? My star is Coachella Valley Firebird and Seattle Kraken prospect Cole Lind. And uh, friend of the pod. Friend of the pod, right. Cole Lind. He is the leading scorer in the AHL playoffs with 16 points across 11 games. That's all of the AHL. Um, and on the season as a whole, he has 37 goals. So hmm. pretty he, good. He's an interesting one for next year. Um, and I think he's an RFA as well, he, right? He is an RFA. Um and uh, I agree. I think he's. I think he's got to be in the mix uh, for the team next year. I think he's a strong candidate for you know a fourth line uh, type role. Interesting. He would require waivers after training camp if they wanted yep. to. He send required him down. it this year too. Yeah. I think. yeah. Well, and you wonder how guys like him are going to fit. You wonder how Ty Cartier is going to fit because Ty Cartier was a big piece of the puzzle here in the playoffs. But if the whole team is back and healthy, the Burakovsky's back. Another thing about Cartier is. He doesn't require waivers. But if you if you are going to decide who to put on your team because of waivers or not waivers coming out of training camp, I think you're doing it wrong. You know, like if Ty Cartier deserves to be on the team because he was a huge piece of the team in the playoffs and he proved that he could be an NHL player and he's young at 22 and whatever, I think you keep him. And I think you would. Well, I don't I don't I don't agree with that at all, because I think there's tactical reasons to remember how Shea Theodore got sent down with the Vegas Golden Knights. No. Well, he did Okay. uh, for the Vegas Golden Knights. And it was basically to circumvent make sure that somebody else didn't have to go to waivers yeah. um and and there's like i know that stuff happens but if you're if we're talking like beginning of the season out of training camp this guy's going to be on the roster i don't know this was I literally he... shade theodore was in the ahl for like after like 20 games or something it was like yeah. a lot i get it yeah and i think this office this front office was attempted to be tactical with when they sent magnus helberg they tried mm-hmm. to send magnus helberg through waivers if you remember that whole saga yeah. and that actually didn't end up working out uh but i think there is something to this preserving depth idea i tend to agree with you darren you're not putting an a-grade player shay theodore being perhaps an exception an a-grade player in the minors to keep a B, but if it's Colin versus Ty Cartier and you really want to keep both, um, you know, I could imagine a scenario where you start the season with the one who requires waivers and see how it goes. Yeah, right. fair point. Uh, my star is Joey Decord, who I think we mentioned earlier, but 60 saves in game three, uh, triple overtime win over the Calgary Wranglers. So that's a heck of a game for him. He's a friend of the pod, as is Philip Grubauer. 
as is Coland. So all three of our stars are friends of the pod, which is fun. Well done. That, that did not factor into yeah. the voting, though. Well, we were objective. Yeah. Uh, we close the show with our tweets of the week. My, I'm going to go first on this one. My tweet of the week is actually a video, so it's not going to be uh, a great one. But the Carolina Hurricanes said, "Feeling the love from Jersey after they beat uh, the New Jersey Devils," oh, and they man. paid against a, they paid a bunch of like New Jersey personalities like a housewife of new jersey couple guys from sopranos, uh, sopranos. Yeah. they have fireman ed the new york J- jets fan is that his name fireman ed fire fireman something anyway they paid a bunch of these people to do cameos um talking about like congratulations carolina for your big win which was hilarious oh my gosh. and then just tweeted it with feeling oh love my gosh. from, from so jersey good. um Hilarious, hilarious, hilarious. Uh, That's my tweet of the week. Curtis, your tweet of the week. So I'm going to go with, uh, I think, frequent tweet of the week participant, Mm -hmm. uh, Pete Blackburn. I was just going to say Pete Blackburn. Yeah, he makes it frequently. Yeah, yeah, he he does some good tweeting on Mm -hmm. the Twitter uh, from time to time. It's actually kind of a two-parter. They're not really related, but the one that's, you know, at least tangentially related to hockey is after Game 7 of the Kraken series, he says, tough way to go out, but the Kraken became cool this year. So respect for that so okay. according to him the kraken are not, cool not but his best work though that's not that's not my tweet of the week though oh, i just wanted okay. to, the wanted to oh, for the, the record all right all right for the it's record to say it's that pete blackburn yeah. thinks the kraken are okay. cool okay so, so what's your tweet of the week the tweet of the week also the same day uh you know how in movie theaters pretty much all theaters now you can reserve your seats in oh, yeah. advance and it's got a recliner uh, yeah well <laughs> sometimes <laughs> it's got a recliner sometimes sure um and you know so you you get to the when you're checking out it's got a little page where it shows you all the seats and you can pick your seat um he was apparently going to it looks like probably a movie during the middle of the day this is pete uh, blackburn again. pete blackburn um there's only one other seat selected right in the middle uh of the uh before he got there right in the middle of the theater he uh he tweets i'm about to ruin this person's entire day he selected <laughs> the seat right next to him oh. the entire theater is open besides that i thought oh, that was pretty man, funny that is messed up i'm mad at pete blackburn for that uh john you didn't have a tweet of the week. Do I don't you? have a I tweet of the week. In your eyes but here, here's what one. I got. All right, Eric Halla. Mm-hmm. So, uh, New Jersey. Okay. Boston. Okay. Nashville. Nashville. Now that was the tricky one. I did not remember him even playing for Nashville. Oh, I definitely remember him playing for Nashville. The problem is he was eliminated by Carolina. So how does that make sense at all? Because of bubble scenarios. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I don't know. Was that? bubble or just the oh re- maybe it was like the play the regional the, no the re- no it was the regional assistant to the regional manager no the the regional divisions the the yeah. covid covid yeah, divisions yeah no that's what i'm saying yeah those weren't technically bubbles uh, but he was knocked out in the playoffs which yeah. was a bubble well that was but it wasn't a bubble was that a bubble yeah wasn't it where they play in a bubble 2021 not 2020 oh but did they keep th- this is terrible we're back to doing a terrible thing. We started with terribleness because of Eric Halla. But Nashville and Carolina were in the same division. Temporarily. Right. And yeah. so in the playoffs, that division stayed within the division. And it wasn't until they advanced out of the division. Okay. We're going to need you to go back and check your facts again. Because right now, I think you're speaking from memory. And I don't think you're 100% confident. Well, if it is I'm a fact, it's com- a fun fact. I'm yeah. confident he played for Nashville yeah, I'm, three I years I believe ago. that. And they were eliminated by Carolina because that was the whole origin story of why we called it the Eric Halla mm. episode. Okay. 
Well, this has really fizzled in the end. Um, this has been episode 239. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, subscribe on Stitcher. Subscribe on Spotify. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Thank you again to Eunice Dog and Backgammon Sucks. Or Eunice Mom. Uni- uh, yeah. Eunice Mom and Backgammon Sucks for the great five-star reviews. Leave your five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We'll read it on the next show. There's a chance we'll take a week off next week. We'll see. Um, and stick taps for Andy. And we will talk to you all very soon for episode 240. Cheers. Cheers.